I called a friend over before I threw it up and I said, hey, can you bring your daughter over real quick uh, with her leotard and her tights? And she was like, yeah, we literally shot it in my bathroom. We shot a little casting announcement in my bathroom. I threw it up that night and I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning and it had gone viral. And I was like, what in the world? Like, it's just, (laughs) what was was that feeling like to especially just- scary. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to the Zoom In Podcast. I'm Tamara, a creative director and commercial lifestyle photographer, the founder of Darden Creative, a full service content creation agency, and your host for the Zoom In Podcast, a podcast that highlights the stories and experiences of Black women photographers. A little housekeeping before we get into it please follow or subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And comments a currency, so please leave a comment on iTunes or rate the Zoom In podcast on Spotify. You may just get a shout out on an upcoming episode. Hey, hey, y'all. Thank you to everyone who has listened to episode one of the Zoom In podcast with Ray Whitney. It feels really good to hear how well it's been received. And special shout out to one of our listeners, Instagram handle Flights and Foods. Her name is Takira. She is a DC food photographer. She really enjoyed the conversational vibe and that the episode was packed with really good information. So thank you so much, Takira, for listening. This week's guest is Takia Wallace. She is a families and kids photographer and also the founder of Some Sweet Photography and Brown Girls Do Ballet. Brown Girls Do Ballet is a philanthropic organization that works to increase the participation of underrepresented populations in ballet by providing resources and scholarships to assist young girls in their ballet development and training. We covered a lot in this episode, including how Takia creates and exercises her boundaries, how Brown Girls Do Ballet went viral, her experience collaborating with Athleta, who is a dream brand of mine to work with, and her number one piece of advice for women photographers. So without further ado, here's Takia Wallace. Hi, Takia. It's so lovely to have you on the Zoom In podcast. Thank you. How are you? I am great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Me too. So everyone knows that the theme for season one is women photographers who have transitioned from one career path into photography. And your story is really interesting because you started a really amazing nonprofit, which is Brown Girls Do Ballet, which we'll talk about. But you were an educator. Yes, yes. I spent 18 years in the classroom. Uh, My specialty was actually gifted and talented. And so I had what I now know to be a lot of students like myself. And and the biggest piece that I took out of the classroom in dealing with the students that I had was, it wasn't really my job to teach them. It was my job to be a facilitator to get them to where they wanted to go. And so that's kind of been the overarching um, uh, like mantra for my life. Like I'm, I've, feel like I'm a conduit and I help young people specifically get to where they want to go. I started teaching in 2002. I loved it. Uh, I met a boy, you know how that story goes. And we decided that it would be cool to get married. 
And uh, very shortly after that, we welcomed our first child and her name is Charlie. After having my daughter, um, my husband and I were kind of looking for something to do as a couple, because when you, when you first couple up, you become about each other. And then when you have a baby, everything becomes about the baby. And so we decided, uh, he, I couldn't convince him to take ballroom dancing classes, but I could (laughs) convince him to take a photography class. And so we actually started photography classes together. And what's funny is he was actually the better student than I was. (laughs) The professor comes in and they look at the, the work that we worked on the week before his would always get like high accolades. And I was always still trying to find myself in what it was I was learning and shooting. And so, um, the difference between my husband and I is he's, he's very good at a lot of things the first time he does them, but I will work towards getting better. And Mm. so I kept photography as a hobby and I had the perfect little model because I had a baby and she couldn't run away from me. So (laughs) I started shooting her and just family and that sort of thing. And then got frustrated over, over a summer, uh, I think around 2013, when, uh, or no, it was before that. It was probably about 2011, 2010, when, you know how you, when you have the quote unquote big camera and your friends invite you to parties, they call mm-hmm. you at the last minute and say, hey, come to the party, but don't mm-hmm. forget to bring your big camera. Mm-hmm. 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 So mm-hmm. I always joke with people <laughs> and tell them, <laughs> I started my business out of frustration. <laughs> frustration and pure comedy because I created a price list and I was like look yeah I'll come to the party but if you want me to bring the big camera this is how much it costs because gas is expensive and when I get there I don't get to have fun and enjoy because I'm chasing the shots that you want so this is a business can we pause there really quickly because I feel like (laughs) there are so many photographers out there, probably myself included, where you are shooting or you're learning and everyone's like, oh, well, you have a camera so you can shoot this. Mm -hmm, You can shoot mm -hmm. this. You can shoot this. You can shoot Mm -hmm. this. And it's like, no, actually, I don't. I I actually don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. But if you want me to do it, here's my price list. Mm-hmm. I mean, mind blown, right? Because yes. how many of us have ever like immediately set a boundary like that? It it happens so rare. And I find the older I get, uh, sometimes the more difficult it gets with specific people, but mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. to do that. And so of course, when you choose to do that, you lose quote unquote friends <laughs> because all of a sudden, well, I invited her, but she didn't want to come, but you don't tell the whole story. Right. So that, right. That's a different topic for another yes, day. Yes, it is. <laughs> it, it, it reminds me of something that I shared a couple of years ago when it's like, Newsflash, your friends do not need to be your clients. Mm -mm, Most mm -mm. of the time in terms of value systems and also just personality, they probably wouldn't make a great client to begin with. And so therefore we shouldn't be placing pressure on our friends to be clients. Now, if a friend wants to be a client, that's a totally different conversation. It's a different conversation, a different set of boundaries and rules mm-hmm, because, mm-hmm. because you're my friend, you cannot call me at 930 at night and ask me where your photos are. Uh, the, it's just, it's, it's so many things that you learn that th- they did not teach me in photography class. Let me say that. No, um, no. 
yeah. So I started my business and it was really initially just for friends and family and word of mouth started spreading. I didn't advertise or anything like that. And all of a sudden I was getting asked to shoot weddings and births mm. and just all of these things. And when you are new in the photography world, you're learning and you're so excited, you'll pretty much shoot anything. And mm. I found out very quickly, I didn't like most of that. Did not like shooting newborns hated how long wedding days were like wedding money did not like the days mm-hmm. um and I was in a place where I felt like well I'm in the classroom yeah you make okay money teaching it's not good money it's just okay money and I was at turning that photography business into a hustle basically mm-hmm. and making side money and then when my side money started becoming more than my salary I was thinking, okay, well, this needs to be a for real, for real business. I need to get structured. I need to learn more. I need to figure out how to do this the right way. And so I did, but I still wasn't quite ready to leave the classroom just yet. And that's also kind of when I started setting boundaries on what I was willing to shoot. So telling friends like, I, your baby is so cute, but I cannot shoot it. I'm struggling with the baby I was trying to shoot. And uh, your wedding, I know it's going to be lovely, but I cannot shoot your wedding. I my My niche, because I taught class for so long, was children and families. That's all I wanted to shoot. Which question. My- mm-hmm. Sorry, not to cut you off. I wasn't expecting us to go into this tangent, but I love it. Remind me again, just so that I can build out a timeline. So obviously teaching 18 years. Yes. And at some point, you and your husband started taking photography classes as a way mm-hmm. of bonding. What year? Yes. Estimating so, what year So I think we started taking classes actually while I was pregnant with my daughter. So that okay, would have been Charlie. early 2009. Charlie okay. was born in 2009. Okay. Um, then when Charlie was about one or two is when I decided, okay, this needs to actually be a business. This was like a span of like three years, 2008, 2009 to then 2011. Mm-hmm. You were trying a lot of things and like to then, I mean, you niched without even really... Yes. Like thinking mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. it, you know, and then like niching it even further to say brown, yes. brown girls who do ballet. <laughs> How long was it from the time you picked up a camera to then being like, I'm only focusing on children and families. This, this was feels good to me. And it seems like it's the through line as well, because you were an educator. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I think, I think I knew pretty quickly what was not for me, mm. but I am an older child (laughs) and a little bit, there's a, there was a lot of people pleasing going on. Mm -hmm. And so I continued to shoot things I knew were not for me that I did not want to shoot for a while. And it would always be for previous clients because Mm -hmm. I love loyalty, right? And so, yes, I shot your, you know, six-year-old and those love those pictures. Yes, I shot your family, love those pictures. But then, you know, a daughter gets engaged. Will you shoot the engagement photos? Shoot engagement photos. Well, you know, after engagement comes a wedding. (laughs) And you're like... How did I get sucked into this? How did I get sucked into this? And it's never ending cycle. So what I've started doing now is kind of telling my clients when I have them and I can see that that path starting, hey, you know, I'll shoot engagements, but the wedding, let me recommend you all my friends who shoot weddings. You never know. I might show up as a second shooter, but 
I do not want the emotional task because to me, that's what it was. It wasn't the day of the physical labor is a lot in general, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's dealing with a mother-in-law who's not happy about the wedding. It's dealing with an auntie who left her shoes. There was a lot of that for me. And I don't know what it is about my face, but they always found me. (laughs) (laughs) So I knew early on what I did not like to do, but it takes a lot, especially when you're trying to build a business and you have so many people who are more experienced in your ear telling you, well, you can shoot 10 weddings a year and that's your whole salary. And I'm like, "Uh." yeah, I I, I have to say, I I relate a hundred percent to this story because I knew immediately I did not want to do weddings. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. felt like, like you said, the emotional task was just something I just did not want to be responsible for the labor, you know, the full days. Mm-hmm. And also just because of the nature of the day, um, it's, it's someone's forever moment that I just personally just knew it wasn't for me and shooting children as well. Like for yeah. me that I just I think you'd have to have a certain temperament to shoot children. I think that that I have, I have a really good friend who I consider to be a a mentor, um, whether she likes that or not, but she loved shooting kids for a really long time. And then one day it's like a flip just switched. she was just like, I like shooting kids, but she got super specific with it. She was like, they have to be uh, older than four and younger Mm -hmm. than 12. And I was like, that's super specific, but she didn't like the have to having to chase a kid around thing. Whereas I can deal with that, but I can't do the wiggly baby thing. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like I can, I can shoot senior photos when they're in high school, but the vibe is a little off. And so I would often prefer you to find someone else to shoot them when they're that old. So it's, it's hard to find what it is that is your sweet spot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and to also communicate that why to a client, like why I, that this particular thing is not for me without number one, hurting feelings. And then number Mm -hmm. two, trying to get them to understand that everything is not about money. It's Mm -hmm. not about money. Mm -hmm. Photography is one of those things where you are physically engaged the entire time you're at the shoot. And then when you get home and you sit down to start editing, you are still engaged with that shoot. They get to go on and live their life and go out to eat after, after that day, you know what I mean? But you are still having to be engaged. And then even on the back end with delivery, you're still engaged. So it's important that you're shooting something that you love to shoot or that you're passionate about. It makes it feel a lot less like struggle. (laughs) Any Mm -hmm. other way to say it? I don't know any Mm -hmm. other way to say it. I think you just hit on so many things. One, the importance of niching down. Two, the importance of trying a few things, but it's just as important to say, based off of my own temperament and, and who I am, that these are the things that I know I'm just not going to do mm-hmm. and not even going to try to attempt to do, because I, I know that's just not what I like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also saying it's not, it really, y'all, it really is not all about the money because if, if I didn't like product photography, I don't care that I'm getting paid a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, if, mm-hmm. if I walk away just completely drained and angry and resentful, 
it really isn't worth it. So I appreciate you sharing those things because I think, like you said, with photography, it's like, oh, I can shoot everything. You know, mm-hmm. like if I just cast a net out there, then I'll be able to grab everything. But most of the time you cast a net for all the things you actually get nothing. You get nothing. Back. You get nothing and you don't do anything well. I think that's the yes. other thing too. It's it's kind of just, um, I, I, I always joke with my friends. I said, I never want something to feel like I'm working at Walmart. Just stocking the shelves. I'm just stocking the shelves. I'm just stocking the shelves. I don't want it to feel like that. It, it's very easy for me now to to say no. I'm mm. no that I don't think that project's for me. But I I keep a network vast enough to where I can find you mm-hmm. the right person. Mm-hmm. It's not me, but I can find you the right person. What would you say are the misconceptions around shooting children and families? Like, if you had to say three. <laughs> I can build a pretty picture. Let me say that I can make, and, and most of my clients are black families. So that's, that's going to be important for me to say, I can make anything look amazing in the, in through the, through the lens of family cohesiveness. Hmm. Every dad is upset the day of pictures. Like y'all, that's just, that's just how it is because y'all always schedule pictures on Sundays when his game is on. Right. And so, so it's, I think there's far more um, mediation involved in photography than people know. There's a lot of, of feeling involved in photography than people know. I think with families, it's finding who the leader of the pack is first. And oftentimes it's not mom, it's not dad, it's whoever that youngest child is and building a relationship very quickly with that child to get everybody else on board. Now, and I always tell pe- tell parents now in emails, you know, prior to when we have our little um, sessions and pre-chats before uh, shoots, like whatever that kid likes, even if you w- don't want them to have it, that day bring it. I need a bargaining chip because- it's, it's not very often that you have a meltdown with, with young people or not very often that I have a meltdown, but it has happened. I'm very particular when, when mom tells me if it's not a family that I'm familiar with, it's a lot easier when it's a family that you've had before. But when it's a new family, I'm very particular about um, talking to mom ahead of time and trying to figure out kind of the temperament of, of each child mm-hmm. because you, I have had situations where I had a little boy throw my keys in the street one time. Uh <laughs> we've had to, it helps me choose locations and things like that, because I need to know what to be aware of. Uh, Also recently, I think I've seen an uptick for me personally in shooting children and families that have a child with special needs. And it's also really cool for me to know that information up front because I don't want to choose um, a busy area. Like there's a really cool artsy area in my uh, city uh, but it's noisy. And so if you have a noise sensitive child, I think it's important for me to know things like that. There's there's a lot of little things you learn along the way, but I think my my background in education really has helped me with photography. It's very strange how all these things happen to work together. Yeah, what would you say is like, what would be the top transferable skills that you feel like have served you well? <laughs> I'll give you a little, a little, a quick little story time. My last school that I taught at was an all boys elementary school. I don't know if you are familiar with boys in general, but uh, all boys elementary school was by design a, a lot. 
your 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 senses are constantly engaged boys cannot sit still for longer than how however old they are so if they're six they can sit still for about six minutes um the school was designed to have different seating possibilities for them if you have a child that likes to stand up and do their work they have a desk that will allow them to do that if you have a child that has to be on a rolling ball to get their work done you have that so imagine being in a classroom and seeing all of these people constantly moving and having to find a way to settle them or what I used to call rooting everybody let's get rooted Mm -hmm. in a family photo situation it's a whole lot of those skills that come right back to to that session Um, because typical families you're going to be shooting a a mom a dad depending on what the family looks like and families all look different but you're you're typically shooting two adults in multiple children it's very rare that I would have like a mom and, and one child or something like that and so there is a lot of rooting going on there. Okay, everybody, let's get rooted. I always tell a particular child, okay, so you're my anchor. Everybody's building up around you. So you have to stay still, all right? And give me three minutes, okay? Three minutes and I'll count the minutes down for them. And then you let them get the wiggles out. It's the same thing as in the classroom. <laughs> and I think that's why certain families keep coming back to me because they know I can deal with whoever they feel like the child is, that is, that is a little bit more uh, energetic. I will say that. Let's fast forward to 2011, 2012, where the Brown Girls Do Ballet idea originated. Fast forward to late 2012, a lot of things happened before then. And I was, I was trying to find myself trying to figure out what I wanted to do by now, Charlie's walking, talking, running and, and, and breaking stuff. And she tells me one day she wants to take ballet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I don't, <laughs> I, I, I don't know anything about that. Like, <laughs> that's not how I grew up. I had mm-hmm. been to the ballet one time with a friend from college, but I didn't know anything about being a quote unquote stereotypical girly girl. That just wasn't mm-hmm. who I was. Mm-hmm. And so I did know how to Google and I'm a teacher and I, I know how to find information and, and that's what I did. And because now I've been in this world, this very visual world of photography for so long, uh, I have a kid who is a little black girl uh, with 4C hair that I'm struggling mm-hmm. with myself. One of the first things that jumped out to me with looking at these websites and their images were that where we live in Dallas, Texas, which is super diverse, blonde hair and blue eyes. I didn't see anybody that looked like my kid. And so as a photographer, especially if you shoot children and families, uh, you know that your busy season is really heavily around October through early December. Mm -hmm. That's when everybody's trying to get their Christmas cards done. That's when you see kids that you didn't see since last year. And so after that, you have kind of a lull because people have spent all their money for Christmas and from, from late December to early January, you're just kind of chilling out, which I think a lot of full-time photographers probably see that as a good time to take vacation, but I was still working and that wasn't an option for me. But I had a really good group of photography friends that I had built via social media. Facebook has been has changed my life. I will I will be the first person to say it can be a gift and a curse 
but for the sake of my business, uh, my partnerships, and just um, gaining insight from other people that are in my fields, Facebook has been a huge catalyst into making those things happen for me. And so I had a group of, of, of Black women photographers that had um, started a Facebook group, and this would have been around 2011, I think, when the group started. Mm-hmm. And we're having a conversation in 2012 about, well, what are we going to do for personal projects this year? We had all just left imaging uh, in Atlanta. I think it was Mm. in Atlanta. So I was like, well, you know, I've been really thinking about kind of the struggles I went through trying to find a diverse ballet class for Charlie and what I didn't see on the internet. And so what I think I want to do is shoot a photography project just kind of centered on finding dancers of color. Something pulled at me kind of that night to start working on it right now. And so I don't know what made me do it. I don't know if people believe in a higher power or not, but I bought a domain. I got an email address and I put a casting, put together like a little casting announcement on Facebook. I called a friend over before I threw it up and I said, hey, can you bring your daughter over real quick uh, with her leotard and her tights? And she was like, yeah, we literally shot it in my bathroom. We shot a little casting announcement in my bathroom. I threw it up that night and I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning and it had gone viral. And I was like, what in the world? Like, it's just, <laughs> what, 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 this? Was, what was that feeling like to essentially just- scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was scary because I didn't understand what was going on, if that makes sense. It's like going to sleep, waking up and your email inbox is full. People are sending you messages on Facebook that you don't know. And you're getting text messages from people saying, I saw this in my Mocha Moms group. I saw this here. I saw this there. And I'm like, I'm not in that group. Like, where, what do you, what, what is this? I shared it in one place. It was supposed to be in that one place. And And on Facebook. It was on Facebook. It was on my business page for my photography business. And it just, it went, it went all over the place. And so um, I started kind of responding to the messages that I had the capacity to respond to. Mm -hmm. And most of them were like, oh, this is amazing. When are you coming here? And here would be Washington, DC. Here would be LA. Here would be New York. And I would say, well, I'm not. This is only for Dallas, Houston and Austin. But I think that it's amazing that it's had this sort of like, I guess, um, uh, impact this fast. Mm-hmm. And people kept asking me, well, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? And I was like, I'm not going to do anything with it. I'd already started calling it Brown Girls Do Ballet. That's on the original casting. And so um, I just kind of shut that away. I found my girls that were local. I think the very first weekend I had 12 to 13 girls mm-hmm. um, on the casting sheet. They were all little and cute. The following weekend, I shot Austin, same thing. I kept hearing the same stories. And so on the drive back from Austin, I took a friend with me that time. And I was telling her, like, I do feel something. Something needs to happen with this. But I don't think I'm the person to do it. So maybe we can find the person to do it. And I think something needs to happen. And, and if I can make these images that I've already shot be the catalyst for that, then I can see, I can see that part of the way through. So on that drive back, it's about three hours. Uh, we came up with this idea for a scholarship program. So I was supplying all of the girls that were shot for the project with a free eight by 10. 
if the parents wanted more images or if they wanted any digital files, we would ask them to make a small donation. Uh, and then from there, all of those funds would be gathered and we would identify a little girl who's either never been to the ballet before, never taken a ballet class before, or who just needed a little extra help with her dance training. And that those funds would go to her every year. That's all it was supposed to be. By the time I got to Houston, <laughs> about a week later, my brain was on fire because all of a sudden I could see that the, the, my history in education and dealing with young people and getting them to where they wanted to go, my, my background at this point in photography and just being a mom in general and, and wanting all kids to feel like they were included. And now this little baby project could somehow find a way to work together. And so I knew that there needed to be a fund or a foundation or something that offered support. And for me, mentorship has always been really big. And so I said, well, maybe we can have the scholarship program and start a mentorship program as well. And that was just the, the, the foundation for what was to come next. If you would have Googled Black Ballerina at the time, the shoes, Black Ballet Flats would have shown up. That's what, that's what we were dealing with. And so uh, Huffington Post did this whole piece about uh, Brown Girls Do Ballet in our Instagram and our Tumblr. And that made things even more dire to get your S together, get it together now. Mm -hmm. And so I took a breather for a few weeks. I organized, I did all my, my legal paperwork and whatnot. And I was like, okay, this is a thing We're we're applying for 501c3 status. We're going to make this an actual thing. Brown Girls Do Ballet in 2015 became a full-fledged nonprofit that provides resources to young dancers of color because we are still very much so rooted in photography. Uh, the photographer, the photographer, piece of it is a huge part of how we uh, get information out to communities of, of dancers or people who have not taken dance before. Uh, we provide photo shoots for free of charge to dancers, which is a big deal, especially as the dancers get older because they need headshots and they need full body shots for auditions and things like that. And it's very pricey and expensive. Um, we also provide exposure experiences to young dancers who have either never been to the ballet before or who want to take ballet. We have full tuition scholarships for what we call tiny dancers, which are babies who are brand new to ballet. We gave out six of those so far this year. Uh, we also have summer intensive scholarships where dancers who are more dedicated to their craft tend to go away to specific places to dance and train in the summer. In 2020, when everyone was panicking during the pandemic, I as well was panicking. I received uh, a deal I could not refuse from the great folks at Meta because in, in their eyes and in my eyes as well, I started this project on their platform. Uh, they basically said to me, we want to help you and we will give you the support to make this um, more solid and to grow it. How many girls does Brown Girls Do Ballet, would you say, serve like on average? Currently, we have, we, we take a new cycle of young people every year. Currently, we have 67 girls that receive services from us internally. But then we also have open scholarships, open micro grants, open um, supply closet and point shoot program assistance for general community. So our goal during the pandemic, when I first started receiving the funding to really get this off the ground, was to purchase, um, and this is a whole other thing in itself, but point 
point shoes are very expensive for young dancers. Mm-hmm. Um, they can range anywhere from 60 to $130 a pair and dancers only dance on them for about 12 hours. Uh, so you go through point shoes a lot. And so with our point shoe fund alone in 2021, we purchased over 130 pairs of point shoes. This year, we're slated to do significantly more. I haven't looked at our final totals yet because it's not December. Yeah. Um, but we also count that as impact. And then any sort of community programs that we do as well, like we have one uh, coming up this weekend in uh, North Carolina just had a little party here in our home area of DFW, Texas. And we had about 13 girls that were there for that event. Mm-hmm. And so it just, it just depends on what we're doing. We are represented in uh, almost all 50 United States, Canada, Trinidad, Tobago, UK, Sweden, and Germany. So wow. we're kind of all over the place right now, which is really cool. Yeah. How was it working with Athleta? It was amazing. (laughs) It was amazing. Uh, The Athleta partnership came along because of my board chair. She does a lot of work with Gap Inc. And um, she is always our biggest like cheerleader and champion. If you don't have a board chair, if you run a nonprofit and your board chair is not constantly singing your praises, you need a new board chair. Mm. And so Athleta reached out to me and they were basically like, well, we want to partner with you. What would that look like? And I was like, I don't know. Y'all make clothes. Like, <laughs> what could we do? And so they came back to me with a full on capsule collection idea. And I was like, I love this idea, but I would love it even more if my girls were able to get involved with this. And so they did. We had six of our girls that are in our mentorship program who had an interest in fashion. They got to talk about everything from fabric to colors to, to, to design to shape. They had several meetings with the athletic team, which was really cool to see unfold because I don't have a history in fashion design or retail. So it's interesting to to see behind the scenes of that, Mm -hmm. but we were all doing it during a pandemic, which was even more crazy. (laughs) And so we put together a full collection with Athleta, which launched uh, last year um, that I absolutely love. And they often, they also bought on uh, an amazing young lady named Joelle who worked for Athleta already, but she got to design some specialty pieces just for us. And she's also a black woman, which was super important to me too. So we just had so much love and support from the Gap Inc. family and Athleta, like I'm a fan for life. And even after the collection rolled out, of course, you know, when you have a brand like that, that is a global brand and and that a lot of people who don't look like us uh shop at or for or familiar with there was some hate in the comment sections because Mm -hmm. athleta they they loved on us okay like they we went to new york we had this full-on i think it was three-day shoot uh all sorts of things and there was some hate in the comments and when i tell you the statements that they issued basically being like you don't have to shop here this is what we're doing was amazing. And then just the buy-in and, and the donation, we got a power she grant from them as well, uh, was so significant. I was able to finally hire. Okay. Because I, it was me, it was me. And I was tired. So you were, you were doing all of this in addition to having the board chair. 
Yes. Yes. So I have my board chair. My, I have eight board members now. At the time we had seven, seven. We just added a board chair. Uh, my, I had a working board because yeah. I needed work done. So I have uh, one of my board members is our, our accountant. One of my board members handles our marketing information. Like everybody had a place. And I was really intentional about that upfront because when you start a business, let's talk about a business in general. Even if you're a photographer, the aesthetics of it, okay, yeah, you got that down. You know what you want this to look like. But there are so many other little bitty things that come with the marketing and putting together of a business that are outside of your wheelhouse. You are going to have to hire someone for those things. Mm -hmm. So with me having a working board of people who were so tied into those industries already, it just made things a lot easier and we cut significant costs. I'm so happy that it went so well with Athleta because I actually used to work at Athleta part-time for several years and is I your shirt a, Athleta? No. This oh, is I was gonna Am- say this is Amazon. I may have to like blurt that out, but this is Amazon. <laughs> okay. okay. Amazon got the basics down packed, but I'm sure this is like a dupe. This is definitely a dupe. It of, looks like the cut. It looks like the cut. <laughs> it is. It definitely is a dupe of one of their crop tops for sure. Um, but I really love Athleta. And what I love the most about them is their inclusivity when it came to mm-hmm. their marketing, even down mm-hmm. to if you go to an Athleta store, like they're mannequins, right? Like mm-hmm. they're using mannequins of all shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. And even the marketing that they go for it in print and video. They are very intentional to make sure that it is very diverse. Um, And that is why I'm a fan for life, but also Athleta is a dream client. And so it sounds like it was a win-win of a partnership. What would you say is one thing, maybe on the business front or on the visual side that you felt like, oh, wow, I can use this for my business. Like, what would you say would be like one takeaway? You know what? At this point, when Athleta came along at this point, I get, I got pitches for partnerships all the time. I got pitches for some of the, the strength, even before the Athleta partnership, we had a, we had a, a deal with Adidas, right? Athleta listened to us in a different way. Like most people come to you with already in mind with what they're willing to give to you, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But they intentionally worked on something that would work for us. Uh, I love the fact that they brought on team members that look like me to make sure I felt comfortable. We had several conversations even before we got down to, because of course there's a lot of legal stuff involved in it before Mm -hmm. before we finalize legals to discuss how comfortable I felt with uh, the, the the usage of our marks, because that's a big deal to me. Um, our, our marks, the Brown Girls uh, do ballet marks are chef's kiss. Like people love our branding. They love our, our logo. They love, they love everything. And so it was really important to me before I hand these things over to you that you understand me, you understand what I'm building. You understand, because this is my family now. You understand my family and that this is all for them. And so I love that they were intentional and they listened. And I don't think a lot of these larger brands are willing to do that. I feel like everything is just a blanket. Well, this is how we did it with such and such. That's not how you can do it with us. 
It's just not. We are smaller. And I think oftentimes these larger organizations feel like they can come in and just say, well, this is what's going to happen because, well, you don't know any better. I may not know any better, but I know how I feel. And I know what feels right for this brand. And a lot of other deals did not. This one made sense. And having somebody who was on the inside, quote unquote, um, with their their DEI team made things a lot easier to to navigate. Uh, but I, you brought up some really good points. I love that their their um, marketing is so inclusive. I think that's one of the first things that jumped out to me when they came to me and they asked me, well, who would you want to be in this campaign? Well, I'm looking at everything you've done before. So I'm not going to get you the typical dancer. I'm going to get you visually what you're thinking of. I'm going to find you some people I really know with some real bodies who can dance their butts off and who would probably never be able to see themselves in a campaign like this. And that they used everybody I sent them, they used. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> it's so good to hear someone's experience with the brand, especially because you don't really know the ins and outs and if they're just doing it just for, for the gram or, you know, yes, just, just yes. to kind of like check off a box. Having those as my, my first big experiences with partnership and collaboration, and especially when you're moving into the retail space, mm-hmm. I don't know how I can just do anybody going for like mm-hmm. you've got to come with it now. I they, the bar they set has the been bar. set. They set they the did. bar. <laughs> they set the bar. All right. So brown girls do ballet, some sweet photography. What percentage of time are you dedicating to both? Is it is it like because you know brown girls do ballet? I mean it's it. I mean it really sounds like it is your it's, it's purpose. Taken off. You know, um, and so so that's a good question because I have it, you know, of course it's that it's busy time for some sweet um yeah. or t- the typical busy time. But I decided in April of this year to take a little bit of a hiatus from some sweet to fully engage without my brain being separated in 50 different ways, uh, with brown girls. And the main reason for that is in 20 or October, 2023, my first book will be published. It's a coffee table book and it is about Brown Girls Do Ballet. And so I spent the last 18 months shooting it uh, outside of where I live. So every weekend I was in a different city in a different state. Uh, I needed a break. I needed a break because you are talking to someone who just shot a dance coffee table book. I was made an offer I could not refuse. And I actually got the book deal in the middle of the Athleta collection, in the middle of the Janie and Jack collection. It was just so much going on. And at first I didn't take it because um, I was overwhelmed. It's it's hard. It's it, Sometimes this is something people don't talk about either. Is it cool to be quote unquote successful? Yeah. It's hard to be successful sometimes too. Like it is not, there are no maids, there are no butlers, there are no nannies. Nobody's picking my kids up and taking them. So to have all of these things going on is great, but I still have my life that I'm responsible for in in humans that I'm responsible for. And so I was overwhelmed. So I decided um, in April of this year to close my books until January, 2023, just to collect myself, to find my love of photography again, because it was starting to feel like working at Walmart and (laughs) no shades, anybody who works at Walmart. I just didn't want to feel like I was 
working like a hamster on a wheel, doing the same things over and over just to make ends meet. Um, I'm in a really special place with, with photography. And I, the, the last few months finding what I like to shoot again and, and being exploratory and, and learning new things uh, with what I want to see and, and moving forward, maybe changing my style a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do those things when you're in the middle. When of you're busy. go, 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 go. Yes. Go. Yes. Yeah. Do you have any plans of expanding operations for some sweet photography or do you, do you like where it is right now? Do you even want to grow um, it? I do want to grow it. Uh, my plans for some sweet for the next I'll say five years is um, a standalone studio space because I feel like that is something I've been inching towards before Brown Girls did what it did <laughs> and pause progress. Uh, so yes, I, I absolutely am going to grow some sweet. I am currently really throwing around the ideas of rebranding Um, My whole thing has been for, I mean, for the better part of my entire career, whether it be with Some Sweet or with Brown Girls or uh, even in my teaching career is to include young people in any of the work that I do. And so my idea for Some Sweet now is not just rooted in photography. I have really gotten into the idea of creating maker spaces for young people and teaching them these skills so that they can go out and, and support themselves as well. Mm-hmm. And so my plan is with Some Sweet to kind of bridge it with another project that I was working on also before Brown Girls did what it did called Pass Through Gallery, which is a a creative space for young people. Uh, So you can kind of, you can come and learn screen printing, you can learn coding, you can learn photography, um, you can work on bodies of art, but there will always be kind of a culminating uh, show basically. Uh, and so some suite is morphing into that within the next five years. And I want to see that come to fruition in the city where I grew up, which is Fort Worth, Texas. And so, yes, I'm working on that. And if, if I'm, were thinking even bigger, that space would also house Brown Girls headquarters in the mm-hmm. future. So kind of like a one-stop shop for young people, you'd be able to take classes, um, learn new skills and then go out and and make money for yourself and your family because everything unfortunately at the end of the day is boils down to how can I get these skills to to feed myself Mm. so even if I'm turning down a job because it's not about money and that's not really what I want to do I have the skill set to where if I needed to take that job for that money, it's it's there. It's there. So that is what I want to do with some suite within the next five years. Uh, that plan is already into action, but I just needed, I needed a break. I needed to breathe a little bit. And yeah. instead of taking a full year off, I'm just, it's just, I keep telling you, it's just a, f- a few months. You can find somebody else for Christmas cards this year. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> because if you don't rest, then who will? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, you, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to the point you probably have where you dream about work. I was having dreams about my camera stopping. Like, you know, it was just a lot. I was exhausted and, and being in a place in April where I just bought a new home. 
Um, I had just turned, well, I, well, I thought I was done with my book and had turned it in, but actually I've learned that when you publish a book, you're never really done until no. it's like in your hands. Yeah. And so, um, I just turned what I thought was a completed book in. I, I felt like, like, I just, I can relax now. And, um, that was a good time for me to take a break and like two finger out. And um, all of my photography friends, like, you're not going to miss the money. I was like, Oh, Oh, I miss it. (laughs) Technically I just work for a nonprofit now. I absolutely miss the money, but I love looking at what I built Mm -hmm. and I was not getting a chance to do that. So Mm -hmm. I hope this is a message for anyone listening to, to just say, sometimes you have to stop smell the roses and then take them mm-hmm. for yourself. Like mm-hmm. we, we always are saying, you know, someone needs to give me my flowers. And it's like, friend, you can give yourself those flowers. You, you can give yourself flowers. And I'm glad you said that. Cause that's one of the things that I started doing for myself during the pandemic. I would get flowers delivered to myself because I deserve them <laughs> and I deserve expensive champagne mm-hmm. occasionally, you know, do those things for yourself because as photographers, we are often giving to other people all the time. And people don't look at that as a service career, but like it really is. And so if I'm giving you these beautiful images and these memories, or even if you're shooting product photography and I'm giving you things that are helping you make more money, look, I'm, I need my time too. <laughs> mm-hmm. What are you looking forward to in the new year? Aside from restarting some sweets. I think I've only just been thinking about that in the new year. I'm not even, this is going to sound crazy to say, I'm not even excited about the book. <laughs> Do you think it's because, because you've invested 18 months of your time? That's you just- it. That is, yes. It, it, you have to have that time separate from it to love it again. Mm-hmm. So I am, I am very excited in January about restart, reopening uh, some suite and and having that together and just kicking off the year and then I know that the book will be out in October they've already built like a tour and all of that into it and so I know that around September October I'm going to be busy again so I'm Mm -hmm. looking forward to first nine months of 2023 seeing my clients faces again talking about everything that happened since I left and that sort of thing I am looking forward to reopening my business for me you know what I mean <laughs> I do know what you mean I do know what you mean and on that note do you have words of encouragement for the women photographers that are out there listening to this episode right now yes ladies it's okay to say no it's okay to say no. That is something I still have to tell myself all of the time. You cannot uh, worry about what comes after you say no either. So if Ooh. something is not for you, because I, I, I think that's what gets me caught up. You play it in your mind. My big thing about being a leader now is that it's been hard for me to say that first, that I'm a leader is that I don't want the idea that because I've said no to however many people to get out to people like, oh, she's unapproachable or Mm -hmm. she's, she's not open to collaboration or she's, she's the big B word. You know, I don't want those things to get out. So I hesitate or have hesitated in the past saying no in for fear that that would happen. You cannot worry about that. Just say no, because I guarantee you us as women, we don't trust our gut enough 
to say no sometimes that's how we end up in going off the tangent of, of photography that's how we end up in relationships a little bit too long that's how we end up in workplaces a little bit too long that we should have left because we we hesitated to say no this is not for me no this is, is not acceptable to me and will it be hard if I go at it on my own or alone or without this thing that could potentially be this much money or put put me in this particular space? Uh, yes, it may be. But at the end of the day, I promise you, if you feel that gut, no, you, it's probably a reason for it. It may not show up immediately, immediately why, but eventually had you said yes to something you did not want to do, you are going to be unhappy. You are going to be miserable and feel stuck. So say no. If you feel like it's a no, <laughs> however juicy that carrot looks, are carrots juicy? Well, whatever. <laughs> when they When they start dangling that carrot, if you feel it's a no, say no. But on the flip side of that, there are opportunities that we've said no to because we didn't feel like we were ready. Those are completely mm -hmm. different things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel like you're ready for something and you're presented with an opportunity and you, it, it's something that would be good for you, you can say yes to that. Do it, do it scared. That is a word. And it's very interesting. You brought up those two distinctions, like the gut no, which is mm -hmm. like the number one therapy advice, like <laughs> listen to your gut. And it takes time because we're raised into women who are told not to trust our gut. And so mm -hmm. it takes a long time to kind of recenter and get back to that. On the flip side, saying no, because you're not capable of knowing that you are just because you haven't experienced it mm -hmm, doesn't mm -hmm. mean that you don't have the experience in order to execute what's being asked of you. Exactly. It's a, you said that a lot better than what I did, but that is, that is, <laughs> those are the two distinctions, but I think we get caught up a lot as women because we are, we're, we're especially as black women, we're not soft enough. Mm. We're not, um, we, we, we should smile more, you know, it, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Mm -mm. I hear a lot of women photographers be like, aren't you afraid that you're going to like not get this opportunity? No, no, <laughs> no. What's for me is for me. What's supposed to happen is going to happen. Why would I purposely walk into fire? Hmm. Cause it's not, it, so many experiences, uh, with clients can be unpleasant, but they have to be clients first. So you won't mm. be my client and I won't have that mm -hmm. experience. So I don't care if I have 10 clients all year long, if there are 10 really great clients, you can turn 10 really great clients into a hundred. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I think people underestimate the power of repeat clients. It's amazing. I mean, they, they pay more than new. It costs less to keep repeat clients than it is to bring on new clients, actually mm -hmm. like five times more expensive. You know, they repeat clients pay 65% more to their service providers. They, they understand the value of your work, your time, and they trust you. New okay. clients are still trying to figure out like, okay, well, she said it was going to take her three weeks, but like, 
it's Is been it? three weeks. Is it, you, you know, like that, that sort of thing. So they're constantly checking in, but your previous clients know you, they know your workflow. They know if you get done faster, you're going to get them sooner. But I told you it was going to be this date. So it's, it's that day. It's that don't, <laughs> don't contact me before then. But that then goes I, back to your boundaries. That goes back to the absolutely. boundaries that you were talking absolutely. about earlier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think that that's what I would tell, tell any woman that was in this industry and wanted to know what I felt like the most valuable piece of advice would be. It would, it would just be, it's okay to say, no, every project is not for you. And that's okay. Please tell people how they can learn more about Brown Girls Do Ballet, share, share all the information, all the things. <laughs> So I have lots of websites and lots of social media, but uh, you can find my photography under somesweetphoto.com. That is also uh, my Instagram and I'm not very active on Twitter. I saw, I'm sorry for that. Um, it's okay. Some girl. sweet photo. Uh, Brown Girls Do Ballet is on all the sites under that same name. Twitter is the only one that's different. It is Brown Girl Ballet because we could not fit the whole name in Twitter. Uh, And then if you are interested in finding out more information about me personally, I do have a private Instagram account. (laughs) I'm one of those people. I am at I am Takiya, T-A-K-I-Y-A-H. Amazing. And people can donate to brown girls yes ballet. yes okay we love donations this is actually our busy giving season uh we are trying to raise thirty thousand dollars between now and december 31st and you can help us do that well i'm not sure when the podcast will air but uh it is giving se- it's always giving season at brown girls do ballet exactly you can donate you can donate at browngirlsdoballet.com. You can also donate uh, via Facebook and our Facebook page. Um, you can choose which or where you want your funds to go. They can go to our scholarship programs, our supply closet, our point shoe program. You can just wherever you want your funds to go, you can choose that and it will go there. And you are helping out a lot of amazing young people who are even venturing beyond just ballet and dance. Thank you so much, Takia. This was, this was great. I truly appreciate you coming and sharing all of your knowledge (laughs) with this audience. Um, This is exactly why I created this podcast for getting this information out there to the world um, because success comes in more than one format. So it does. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm looking forward to, to hearing more of the podcast, hearing some of the other interviews as well, because I'm always learning. So this is good stuff. Yeah. All right, Takia. Thank you. This wraps up another edition of the Zoom In podcast, a podcast that highlights the stories and experiences of Black women photographers. First, thank you for listening. And if you like what you've heard, please share with your crew. And second, Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify so you don't miss out on the next episode.